been a great day already. It's going to get even better. Amen? Amen. I hope, you've, hope you're ready to receive, as the song said, what God has to say to you. I hope that this is the moment you've kind of been waiting for because this is the moment that God's going to speak from the power of his word. Amen? This is the moment when the seed is going to fall and it's going to be falling on hearts this morning like it falls on soil. I hope your soil has come soft this morning to ready, be ready to receive God's word. Amen? All right, so if you are an iPhone user, then you are very familiar with this symbol on screen. Yeah. Have you seen this symbol before? Hello. You've seen this before. Yeah, see, this symbol means you have some apps that need to be updated. You see, you can download apps on your phone, but from time to time, you have to update those apps. If you're still running off of the original app that you downloaded and you're ignoring this number, if you see it go to 5, 7, 11, 33, you probably are already noticing that your phone is not working the way it used to because you have to keep updating the apps. You see, those who make the apps come out with better technology. They come up with ways to protect you from being hacked. They come out with improvements for using your app and your phone. And as I said, if you're not updating, you probably have already noticed your phone is not working as quickly and effectively as it used to. You probably have noticed that you may have even had some trouble with some hacking of your phone. And you may have noticed that some apps have stopped working altogether. When it comes to following Jesus Christ in our life, we come to this moment where we are saved and we download his love into our heart. We are saved by his grace through our faith. And at that moment, we are made new. Our, our system has been updated. Amen? Amen? you got a whole new setup of apps in your life. But as we walk with Jesus Christ... He calls us to update our apps. You got a dose of love when you were first saved. But if you're not coming back to him on a regular basis to receive more of that application in your life, you may have noticed that your life is running a little sluggish these days. You may have noticed that you're having a difficult time applying some of the things that God's given to you because you haven't updated your system with him lately. You got to do some downloading and you got to do some updating in your life or you'll start to have some struggles. This series we are in is called Relationship Apps. We are looking at how we apply, make application of the love that Jesus has given us and how we lift that up but how we live that out in our lives. Amen? Amen? It's not enough just to have a one-time experience. Oh, that'll get you into security with Christ. But if you want to experience sanctification and blessing with Christ in your life as you walk with him, oh, you've got to do some updating from time to time. Amen? So we've been talking about what it means to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But how to take that and love our neighbors ourselves. We've been using a passage out of Colossians, and we've looked at three apps so far, three applications, and here they are. We've looked at the power of mercy in our life, kindness, 
and humility. And here's the passage that it comes from in Colossians chapter 3. This is kind of our, our base camp for this series. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Therefore, in other words, as those who have come to Jesus Christ by faith, and he has declared you holy, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Amen. Amen. Hello. That's a big old point right there. You're not holy today based on what you've done. You're holy today based on what Jesus has done for you. And to the degree that you have downloaded that and are starting to live that out in your life as the holy elect and beloved of God, now here's what you do. You start putting on like a coat like clothes. You start putting on these apps. You put on tender mercies. We did that. We talked about kindness. Last week, we talked about humility. We talked about Naaman going down into that dirty Jordan River and dipping seven times when it went against everything that was in his pride and arrogance to do so. Remember that? There's one more word that this verse adds, one more app, and it's the word meekness. Now, this is not a word we use a lot in uh, American vocabulary or in our culture. In fact, most people, when they hear the word meekness, they think of weakness. They, can, they think of someone who's timid, who's uh, shy, who is insecure, who is withdrawn, and they refer to that person as meek. Let me assure you, the Bible has the opposite to say about meekness. In fact, back in the days of Scripture, it was the admirable quality that kings desired to be a king who had meekness. Now, we're going to unpack all this today. We're going to see how we download this and how we update it and how we live it. Let me give you a definition for meekness today. It is controlled gentleness that is confident in God's wisdom and timing in the face of injustice. That's a lot of words on the screen. Let me give you an example. So you're in a situation where things are not going like you thought they ought to. In fact, it's very painful to you. It's painful to you to see. It's painful for you to experience. And you actually have the power to shut it down. Oh, you have the right and the power to just get up in the face of whatever, whoever it is. But meekness says, you know what? There's a time to just be still and let God take care of the matter. You see, not every situation that comes into your life is one you got to get up in the face of. Not every situation that comes into your life is one that you've got to get up in and try to defend yourself, that you've got to get back at and try to get revenge for yourself. In fact, the Scripture says that God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let me have it. I'll take care of it, is what God says. And in those moments, a person who has developed some meekness knows to not lose their cool, knows to not run their mouth, knows to just be still and in confidence they say, I'm waiting on God. And I don't mean, I'm just waiting on God to help me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the quality desired by kings. The quality of powerful self-control. It's not gritting its teeth, but it's saying, 
Okay, I'll take it. Go ahead. Bring it. God is going to take care of me. Amen? That's meekness. This is meekness in the scripture. This is our definition we're going to use today. It's a term that was often used to refer to majestic animals who were trained and tamed. They had great strength, great power, and the ability to exercise all of it. But when they felt the reins on their neck, they knew the master's in control. I rein in everything that's in me to do what the master says. I don't know where we're going. I don't know what he has planned. But I'm waiting to feel the reins on my neck. And then I'll know which way to go. This is meekness. It's power. In Scripture, in the book of Psalms especially, it says the meek shall eat and be satisfied. It says the meek, he will guide in justice, and the meek, he will teach his way. In Psalm 147, 6, it says something that Jesus would later say, that the meek shall inherit the land. Oh, Jesus would say the meek shall inherit the earth, but listen here. Now that you understand a little bit about what meekness is, it gives some little additional meaning to this idea of inheriting the earth. You may not have much now. You may not possess much now. You may be poor right now, but there's coming a day when God will give to all of those who belong to him all that he has, and then the meek shall inherit the earth. Amen? There's coming a day, and God guides the meek. You see, the opposite of meekness, if that'll help us a little bit this morning, is when you just burst out in anger. Something happens and you're just like all over the page. You're just, you're just yelling out. You're just acting out. You're just all over the highway with that guy that's bothering you. Oh, I got a little too close, right? So you know what I'm talking about all of a sudden, though. You know what I'm talking about. When that situation happens where someone says something, does something, that you just feel, that's not right, and you want to get up in that, you see, Letting loose in that moment is the opposite of meekness. Having some actions and words without thinking. Having some actions and words without considering what God says. Taking matters into your own hands. I'm telling you, this is a day and time we need some meekness. In a day when the culture is screaming out against everything that we know of as the gospel, we need some meekness. When your friend is caught up in some sin and you, you want to do something, that's when you need some meekness, it says in Galatians chapter 6. When you're being treated unfairly at work, you, you need some meekness right then. When you're cut off in traffic, when there's a conflict with your spouse, when your child is making that same bad choice again, you need some meekness, right? When you've been hurt again by that same person in that same type of situation, you need some meekness right then. Today, we're going to look at a character from Scripture, as we've done with each of our apps. Someone who demonstrated they didn't have some meekness at first, but someone who gained some meekness later. Our character is Moses. And we start in the Old Testament today. If you want to turn in your Bible app, if you've got one, or your Bible with pages, if you've got one. We're in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look at some uh, little vignettes, some little stories from Moses' life. From when he was young to when he was old and he was a little bit older. And we're going to see this progression in Moses' life when at first 
He has no meekness, even though he knows who God is. He's going to be at a place where he's got some learning to do, some growing to do. So let's start Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what the scripture says. Now, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown. Okay, so what's happening here, if you remember, Moses was a Hebrew. He was born to a Hebrew mother. But because there was fear and there was a law from Pharaoh for death, she put Moses in a little basket and put him in a stream. And Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, and he ends up a Hebrew raised in Pharaoh's court. He's a Hebrew raised as, as an Egyptian. And he sees life from Egyptian eyes, but he's got a Hebrew heart from the beginning. He comes from a Hebrew heritage from the beginning. But he's raised in Egypt. And in Egypt... Hebrews are looked down on. Hebrews are the slave group. Hebrews are treated with no favor, no respect, no rights. So what an interesting situation. Moses grows up Egyptian, being a Hebrew. He's looking around and he's seeing his heritage. He's seeing his people. And he's seeing them treated as slaves. He's seeing the cruelty. He's seeing the injustice. He's seeing how they have no rights. He's seeing how they have no possessions. He sees how they are treated like animals. And it's hard to say anything because he's Egyptian, but everything within him cries out because he's Hebrew. Amen? The passage says that when Moses was grown, he went out, in, he went out to his brethren. He went out to his people and looked at their burdens. He saw what was going on. He saw the injustice. He saw the cruelty. He saw how they were being treated, and it did something to him. He says, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Man, can you imagine seeing a loved one being treated so unfairly, being treated so cruelly with such injustice and with such despising that they have almost no life treated as an animal. And Moses sees all of this. Now remember, it says Moses was grown, but we're talking about 18 to 20 years old grown. When you're 18 to 20 years old, you think you're grown. When you're 18 to 20 years old, you're not grown. Just the way it is. There's just a whole lot more to learn yet. Praise God for where you are at 18 to 20. You know more than when you did when you were 5 and 6 or 11 and 12 or even 14 and 15. But you're not 45 and 46. It's different. And we're going to see that it was different from Moses. Moses feels all of this, sees all of this, is in the middle of the experience of injustice. It's the moment. It's the classic moment where you want to practice meekness. It's the classic moment, worse than any injustice you can imagine, and it's happening. This is far worse than being cut off in traffic. This is far worse than being insulted by a coworker. This is far worse than being mistreated in your neighborhood. Verse 12 says this, 
So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. That's what 18 to 20 will do you. It'll get you 18 to 20 and more. This is the moment when Moses has no meekness. There's an injustice, and he doesn't stop to consider, hmm, I wonder if this is right. I wonder if this is what God wants me to do. He looks left, and he looks right to see if anyone is watching, because he's about to take this Egyptian down. He looks left, and he looks right, but he forgot to look up. That's what you got to do if you want to have some meekness in your life. And Moses killed this guy. He killed the Egyptian. He took matters into his own hand. He became rash in his, in his activity. He said some things he shouldn't have. He did some things he shouldn't have. And then he had to hide it. He had to hide this guy in the sand. And he looked around and made sure no one else was watching. And I won't go into the rest of the passage at this point in the story, but I'll tell you. Moses got found out. Somebody saw, somebody knew, and word got around. It got back to Pharaoh himself. And so guess who was then hot on the heels of Moses? Pharaoh. Guess why Moses had to leave Egypt? Because of this reason right here. You see, when you don't have meekness in your life, you'll start saying things and doing things that you got no business saying and doing. And you'll start causing pain to people in your life that you don't even think about it happening to. And you'll introduce circumstances into your own life that you have no idea it will cause. Which brings us to our first big point this morning. Point number one about meekness is when we lack meekness, we cause others pain. We cause ourselves shame. Man, when you don't have this perspective that God is at work, that God is able, that God can move, that God can change a heart, God can redeem a situation, and you go in to take matters into your own hands, and you're just lashing out, saying a bunch of stuff, doing a bunch of stuff that you got no business doing, you will cause pain for other people, and you'll cause shame for yourself. Moses had to hit the road. He had to run, and he lived in fear of the pursuit Pharaoh. Now, I know if you're a, a student of Scripture, you say, well, but didn't God ultimately use that bow to bring Moses back and free his people? Yes, and that's called grace. He didn't have to do that, but God does take painful situations and redeem them. Amen? So here's Moses at an early point in his life making some bad mistakes and paying for it, and it cost him. He became a loose cannon. Now, let me just break this down a little bit further in case you're having a little difficulty building a bridge over into your life, into some real-life stuff here. Let's just update the apps for everybody here real quickly. Let me talk to some husbands a little bit. Some husbands in the room this morning? So, uh, I am one. I have, I have some room to talk about this. Husbands, you may not realize this, but what your wife wants more than anything from you is to know that you are a safe place for her 
heart. You may never thought about that. If you're not writing that down right now, I'm telling you, you better write it down. She longs to know that you are a safe place for her heart. If you want to move to a place, if you want to get to a place where you are closer with your wife than you've ever been before, then you have to create a space that she feels comfortable walking into with her heart and pouring her heart out and saying whatever she wants. Thank you. Ladies, say it. This this is your chance, ladies, right now. Amen? Amen. That's That's what she longs for, guys. She wants to know she can come in and cry that she can come in and fuss, that she can come in and just lay it all out there, and that you're going to sit there and listen and comfort her. Don't do what I did the first few years of my marriage. When I would come home and Heather would start telling me about her day, I got my relationship toolbox out and started trying to fix every one of them. Well, you know, if you do this the next time, that wouldn't happen. If you do this with this person, this wouldn't happen. And with this, with the kids, Guys, if you tried that, you know, do not do that. That is not what she's looking for. She's not looking for Mr. Fix-It in that moment. That time may come, but believe it or not, your wife is smart enough to figure it out on her own. She's just looking for someone who will comfort her in the process while she processes all of it. Ladies? Okay, I'm just looking for confirmation here. It'd be better to amen this morning than to do this this morning, okay? So avoid, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, now that we got that down, guys, if you are the kind of guy that has little self-control, little meekness, and you're quick to just say whatever's on your mind, and your words are flying off the handle, your anger is off the chain, and your actions show that you have little meekness, you are not creating a safe place for her. And you're probably wondering, well, I don't know why my wife won't be close to me or intimate with me. She just, I mean, she just seems to run away from me every time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You got half a clue, it sounds like. There's a reason she's not coming close around you. There's a reason she hasn't just fallen into your arms and just says, I just love you so much. Because you're all doing your own thing. You don't have any meekness and control in your life. And she's looking for a man who's got some meekness, some control, some man who has some self-control in his words and actions and heart. If not, she's not going to give her safe place to you. Ladies? All right. Let's talk to the wives for just a moment here this morning. (laughs) Now, guys, that was, see, that was your test right there. That's a moment for meekness. Don't say amen. We got some work to do, I can tell. And guys, let me just give you a hint. Don't say amen the rest of this time. Don't say it. Don't say it. If you hadn't learned this yet, the ladies can say it, but you can't. I'm just telling you. (laughs) Now, now we're getting somewhere. Ladies, wives, your husband, 
He really does desire to be close to you. He does want to love you. But us guys don't always know how to do that so well. But I can tell you some things, ladies, that will help you in the process. Because I know the women are looking for a safe space with your feelings, your heart. But a guy, he's looking for a place of worth. He really is. He looks at the relationship completely different than you do. And he's looking for a place he can come to and have his identity and worth encouraged. That's different. That's different than the ladies. He's not looking for a safe place to come in and tell you how he feels about his boss. He's probably going to tell you, but he's not going to be upset at the end of the day if he doesn't get that. That's just not what he's looking for. A man, a husband, is looking for a place where he will be encouraged and built up. It's essential to a man's heart. He wants to know that he did a great job. He wants to know that he was successful. He wants to know that you see him as a rescuer and Prince Charming. Now, ladies, you might be thinking, well, as soon as he starts doing those things, I'll let him know. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm talking about either. The greatest temptation of a man is to not be that safe place. The greatest temptation for a woman is to not build up, but to criticize everything her husband does. Guys, <laughs> do not say anything right now. Ladies, the scripture makes it clear that one of the most devastating but tempting allurements you will have is to become your husband's greatest critic. It was the temptation that Eve faced in the garden to rule over her husband. Go back and read it. It's there. Ladies, if the thing your husband hears the most from you is, well, how come you did it that way? Why do you have to do that? You always do that. You never do. If that is what you bring to the table... If you bring irritation, frustration, criticism, condemnation, your husband is going to find it very difficult to want to come in and be rescuer and Prince Charming. I'm just telling you, ladies. Now, let me be clear about this. Neither of these is a justification to do wrong. Ladies, if your husband is not all you need him to be or want him to be or expect him to be, that does not justify you getting wandering eyes and looking for other men. What it means is you're going to have to pray and ask God 
How do I rein in all of my frustrations and irritations and find what I can encourage and build up in him? And the more you start to encourage and build up in him, what you might think are even the smallest things, oh, you better watch out. That will ignite a firestorm. You start encouraging, you start praising, and you start doing that even in the face of some other issues, you'll soon have that husband you've always longed for. Guys, same thing. Her lack of encouragement for you is not an open invitation for you to start looking elsewhere or to cut yourself off. Instead, it is the time that you challenge yourself before God to love your wife like Christ loved the church, even when the church has gone astray. Amen? Whoo, man, that was some good stuff. We could talk also about parents, but I'm going to move on this morning because there's a whole other set of application there. But you're starting to get a picture now of what meekness is. It's strength under control. It's confidence in saying God's going to work things out. I'm going to do what's right now, and he's going to take care of the situation. Amen? So let's move on a little bit later into Moses' life. He's young. Uh, he was older, but he was young at the time, 18 to 20. There's a moment coming up in his life where he gets a little bit older. In fact, a lot older. And he's led the people of God out of Egypt, and he's been uh, used by God to lead them, provide for them, teach them. God's given the Ten Commandments through him. He's given the plan for building the tabernacle through him, the priesthood through him. All of that has happened. And along the way, the people have sometimes said, Woo, Moses, you're our man. Let's go. Other times, most of the time, they said, What have you done to us? You've led us out here in the desert, and there's no food, there's no water. Most of the time, you see the people complaining about Moses even though he's been their deliverer, their rescuer. So we're a little bit later in his life now. We're in Numbers chapter 12. If you're flipping over in your Bible, just keep on going a little bit till you get to Numbers. Look in your Bible app. Moses is no longer the man he was before. He's grown. He's matured. God used some events in his life, some painful, some glorious, to help him mature. He's been downloading some apps into his life. Here's what it says in Genesis 12 that we get to this, this moment where they're complaining again. And there's something about complaining when it starts. That's why it's so dangerous, wives and husbands and children. The minute a spirit of complaining starts, man, it's like a poison. It's like cancer that just takes off in, in a group of people. You got to watch out for it. You got you to stop it. You got to nip it in the bud, if you remember Andy Griffith quote. So... Um, we get to this moment where Moses is not just having the people complain against him in Numbers chapter 12. It's his brother and sister, his older sister and his younger brother. Man, it's pretty bad when the, the people turn against you. It's even worse when your family turns against you. Amen? So we get to this situation here, Numbers chapter 12, verse 2, and it says, So they said, this is Miriam and Aaron, sister and brother, so they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? They were saying, how come he gets to be the leader? Why does he get to do all that? We're just as good. I know that was her tone of voice. It's in the, it's in the Hebrew. You can read it. I'm teasing. But that's what's happening. They're whining and complaining. 
It, it, it started as a cancer in the people, and it spread all the way to his sister and brother, and it comes all the way back to him. And here's Moses. Like, who else are you going to trust? Your sister and brother have now turned against you. He's in a bad situation. Can you imagine? And when I say the people of God, you know I'm not talking about 200 people, you know, like this. I'm not talking about 2,000 people. I'm talking about millions of people, the, the, the people of God. And they're all following, and they all start complaining. And it comes all the way back to Miriam and Aaron, and Moses is in a bad old spot. Now, how do you think 18 to 20-year-old Moses would have handled this? His brother and sister is going to be tough. But man, this kind of stuff makes you mad. This is sitting right. I mean, God's called me. I'm the leader. What are you, how come these people are rebelling against me? I'm the one that God's said to. He's given us direction. I know exactly what we're supposed to do, and nobody wants to do it. And they start complaining. They start whining. They start getting upset. They're jealous. They're envious. All of this stuff. And the end of verse 2 says, and the Lord heard it. Mm-mm. They, they forgot to look up, too. They looked left and right and saw everybody else's complaining, thought they would, too. It says, and the Lord heard it. Now, Verse 3 is a fascinating verse to me. Check it out. It's in parentheses. It's kind of this thought. It's kind of this setting the scene. It says, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who are on the face of the earth. This word humble here in the Hebrew is the word for meek. Meek. Moses was a meek man. He wasn't weak. He wasn't timid. He wasn't insecure. He wasn't, you know, wimpy. He was strong. He was powerful. He knew when situations were bad and they weren't going his way, how to stand strong in the midst of it. He knew how to say, God's going to take care of this situation. What a fascinating thing. At the time, Moses was the meekest man on the planet. Wow. So if you were to go on in the passage, and I'm not going to read verses 4 through 9, I'll just, I'll just kind of summarize what happens in that situation. It says that the Lord heard them complaining, and God calls all three of them. I want all three of you to come to the, the, the door of the tent. I mean, it's kind of like getting called to the principal's office, but worse. God calls all three of them. Moses is like, I didn't do anything. Yeah. All three of them, God calls them down there, and mm, God challenges them. He confronts them. He says, if I've called Moses and he's the man I want to speak to, why aren't you listening to him? Why aren't you following him? Why aren't you doing what's right? In verse 10, it says this, And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous. Hello, remember our story from last week? She, all of a sudden, is filled with leprosy. She picks up this disease that we saw that is not just a skin disease. It's part of your nervous system disease. It's a fatal disease. And she becomes as white as snow, instantly advanced leprosy. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. Whoa. Her heart wasn't softened by the moment. Her heart resisted in the moment. But the most beautiful part of the story, if there's a beautiful part to this story, or this part, is that Moses stayed in control. He didn't say, yeah, that's what you get, suckers! <laughs> he didn't do that. 
He didn't jump back in their face. He didn't try to take advantage of them. He didn't try to execute justice on them. He brought his petition before God, and he let God take care of it. And boy, did God take care of it. You see, there's so many times that situations come up in our life, and it may be your marriage, it may be your kids, it may be your finances, it may be some other situation, maybe work, maybe a friend, maybe someone in the community, maybe something else, and we think it's our responsibility to have to fix the problem, to point out the person's error, to somehow, somehow fix every person out there. Meekness says, you know what? God, you are the one who is in control. I will speak when you speak to me, but if you don't, my lips are sealed. It's control. Amen? Let's look at the last, well, another point here, and then we'll move on to another picture from Moses' life, and we'll wrap this thing up. Here's our second point. Meekness rests, I'm sorry, meekness refrains from outbursts of anger and confidently waits for God to redeem the situation. You might be in a situation right now that you think is hopeless, that you think can't be redeemed, that you think has no way to have peace to it. But I'm going to tell you what, stay with me here. As people of faith, we do not put our trust in what we can see. We put our faith and trust in the God who sees and knows and does all things. That's where our trust is. That's what faith is. And Moses did that at this point in his life. Now, let's move on just a little bit later. Last story for Moses, last vignette from his life. It's not much further. It's Numbers 20. Some chapters over. Moses has continued to lead the people of God. He's con- God has spoken through him, and they come closer to the land of promise than they've ever been. I mean, they can almost see it. This is what they've been traveling for. This is what they left Egypt for. And they're on their way. They're following Moses. But I'm going to tell you what, the complaining has hit an all-time high. I mean, it's gotten bad. The people are bitter, the people are upset, and Moses is starting to reach a level he's never been to before. The frustration is up. There's been some times that God had done some unusual things. There was a story earlier where the people were complaining just like this, and they didn't have any water. And God told Moses to do a miraculous thing. He said, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to this certain rock, and when you get to the rock, I want you to take your staff, and I want you to strike that rock. Just hit the rock with your stick, Moses, and water's going to come out. That's ridiculous. But Moses did it. He struck the rock. Boom, water came out. Amazing. That's, how, that's what God did. That's what God does for people who are meek. He'll show you wonders. He'll do things in your life if you're meek. So we get into this story here. It's a little bit later. It's in Numbers chapter 20. And it says this uh, in verse 1. It says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, and again, this is not 200 people. This is millions of people. They came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. I told you it was incurable. Verse 2. Now, there was no water for the congregation. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Oh, oh. Now everybody's going to line up against Moses and Aaron. They're down to two. Let's all go against them. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Man, if we should have died. This is miserable out here. Why didn't we die too? Verse 4. 
Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of gain of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. They're saying, we wish we were slaves again. We liked it then. It's better than this. Their thinking is so distorted. Verse 6. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle. They went to meet with God. And they fell on their faces. Good thing to do. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. God shows up. Verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod. Look carefully at this. Watch this story carefully. Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Watch this. Speak to the rock. Huh? The last time I hit it, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. What? God says, I want this time... I know the last time I told you to hit the rock, but this time I want you to just speak to the rock. Just just speak to it. And God says, and when you do, water is going to come gushing out. Wow, something miraculous is going to happen. Verse 9. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together. He's doing great so far. And they were before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels! Must we bring water for you out of this rock? And if, if you and I had been there, knowing what we know now, we'd probably start saying, Moses, well, slow down, Moses. You sound like you're getting upset, Moses. Moses, hey, you're not 18 to 20 anymore. You remember what happened the last time you got really, really upset? Moses, just calm down a little bit, Moses. It's like you're getting really upset at the people again. Moses, you're not letting meekness be controlled. Moses, watch out what you're doing. God said to speak to the rock. I see you lifting up that rod. I see you yelling at the people. I see you calling them. Be careful, Moses, what you're doing. Verse 11. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation and their animals drink. What in the world? God said, speak to the rock, Moses. Just just talk to it. Don't strike it. And Moses lost his cool. Moses lost control. Moses did what he wanted to do. Moses let his anger against all the people take over. Moses hadn't uploaded his app or downloaded his app or updated his app. It hadn't happened for Moses. And in that moment, he says, you rebels, here we go. Boom. Boom. A direct violation of what God told him to do. You see, the New Testament makes it clear that the rock is a picture of Jesus. And Jesus died once for sin. He took the blow and the beatings for our sin once. It wasn't to be struck again because you're going to ruin the picture Moses, do what I say. This time, just speak to the rock. 
The first time the rock was struck so that there might be blessing, so that there might be forgiveness, so that there might be peace, so that there might be grace, so that there might be redemption. And the second time, Moses, I want you just to speak to it. You see, that's what you do when you come to Jesus. He took your sins once. The next time and every time after that you come to him, you come to him to speak to him. He's come to bless you. But in our unusual situation here, Moses did what he wasn't supposed to do, and he strikes the rock twice, and water still comes out. What in the world? God, have you gone back on your promises? No, he doesn't ever do that. God, have you gone back on your word? No, he doesn't ever do that. What's going to happen? Moses just lost all meekness here in the situation. Verse 12, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Side conversation. He pulls them aside. I got something to say to you, boys. Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I'm giving them. Moses, you had one thing to do. Speak to the rock. And you didn't do it with meekness. You lost control, Moses. You got angry, lost your cool, struck the rock twice. God can still bless even when we don't obey. But there will be consequences for our life and others. And the scripture made it clear that Moses never got to go into the land because in this moment, he was not meek. Painful words about the power of meekness. So we wrap this up with some application here today. Point three, meekness reveals to others that God is present in power, holiness, and glory. God said to Moses, you, you didn't speak to the rock and, and hallow me in front of the people. You didn't show them my holiness, my glory. Moses, can you imagine if you would have just spoken to a rock and water came out? Moses, can you imagine what that would have done to the people? Can you imagine what they would have experienced that day? Can you imagine the miracle? Can you imagine the power? Can you imagine the glory if you'd have just spoken to the rock and not hit it? Can you imagine the power and the glory and the majesty of Christ that will be revealed in your marriage, in your kids, in your family, in your community when you and I learn to be meek and we... We show some self-restraint and self-control and say, God is the one I'm trusting. I will not take matters into my own hands to try to reform my husband, my wife, my children. God, I trust you. Amen? Amen. Point four, and we are almost finished. A lack of meekness causes concentric circles of pain and loss. I know you know what it's like to throw a rock into a pond. I know you know what it's like to skip a rock across a creek and to see those circles just go blink. And they just spread out from the point of impact. And they start off strong and they kind of dissipate the further they go until there's smoothness again. When you and I act out, when you and I show no meekness, when you and I have no faith in the matter that God is going to work and we lose control, we cause pain to just ripple out from our life. 
you cause circumstances and relationships to be affected in a way you may not have ever realized or thought. You cause generations to be forever impacted. There were many there that day who did not enter the promised land as Moses didn't either. It caused pain. But our last point is this, that meekness confidently trusts that God will work in spite of current circumstances. You see, meekness says, in this moment, it looks impossible. The moment looks ridiculously impossible. I don't see how in the world God could rescue my financial situation. I don't see how in the world God could redeem my habit that I've got. I don't see how in the world my marriage could be saved. My kids could be rescued. I don't see how in the world God could work in all those situations. I'm going to tell you what. Moses went on that day, and though he never entered the promised land, the New Testament reveals a different story. The New Testament reveals that there was a day that Jesus called a few of the disciples to a mount that we call the Mount of Transfiguration. That Jesus appeared there on that day, and then he was in all of his glory. He was, it was like his, his earthly tent was set aside, and these disciples saw his glory. And they looked, and Peter says he looked, and he saw with Jesus, Elisha, and Moses. And guess where Moses is standing? He's standing in the promised land. He got there. He got there. You might be looking at your life today and you think, you just don't know. You don't know my situation. You're right. I may not. But I know a God who knows your situation. I know the God who can redeem impossible situations. I know the God who sees that when there's death on Friday night, sees that there's going to be resurrection on Sunday morning. I know the God who took a man who was diseased with leprosy and had a death sentence upon his life, told him to go dip seven times in the Jordan River, and he did. And on that seventh time he came up, boom, he was healed. That's what God can do. And so today as people of faith, I don't want you to walk out of here discouraged today because you think, I don't have meekness. Right. Jesus has meekness for you. And it's time to download what he's got so that you can live out what he's done. Amen? And so whatever situation you're in today, you're saying, I'm not trusting what I see today. I'm trusting in what I believe today. God tells me to speak to my situation, not strike it. And so I'm going to do that today and declare that God's going to work in it. Amen? Why don't you stand with me this morning? I'm convinced every one of us in here have some area in our life where we say, God, I'm desperate for you to work, but I don't know how in the world it can happen. The situation seems impossible to me. It seems like there's no way you could work in it, that it could ever be redeemed, that it could ever be rescued. But when Jesus comes into your life and you fully trust him and you do exactly what he says, he can rescue what you think is lost so that you can be like the Apostle Paul and later say, you know, I may be troubled in this situation, but I'm not crushed. I may be in doubt in this situation, but I'm not in despair. I may have enemies in this situation, but I know a friend. I may be hurt in this situation, but I'm not destroyed. And I know my God is going to work. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray.